This is the Do It Scared podcast with Ruth Sukup, episode number 27. In today's episode, we are going to talk about the one single thing that separates people who succeed, whether it be in business or in life, and those who fail. So buckle up, because it might not be quite what you expect. Welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Sukup, and each week on the show, we will talk about how to face your fears, overcome obstacles, and most importantly, how to take action and create a life you love. episode is brought to you by the 8th annual LWSL Holiday Planner. You guys, this is our most popular freebie of the entire year, and so you've got to grab it now. It's such a great tool for helping you to enjoy a holiday season filled with a whole lot more joy and a whole lot less stress. And the very best part of all, it is completely and totally free. Just our little way of saying happy holidays. It's available now, but only for a limited time. So grab yours at livingwellspendingless.com slash holiday planner. Once again, you can get it at livingwellspendingless.com slash holiday planner. Hey there, and welcome back to the Do It Scared podcast. My name is Ruth Sukup, and I am the founder of Living Well Spending Less and the Living Well Planner, as well as the founder of Elite Blog Academy and the New York Times bestselling author of five, soon to be six books. And whether you are new and just finding me through this podcast for the very first time, or whether you've known me for a while from Living Well Spending Less or Elite Blog Academy, welcome. My hope is that this is a place where you will find new inspiration and motivation to move past the things that are holding you back so that you can create a life you love. In today's episode, we are going to talk about something that doesn't always get the attention it deserves, maybe because it's not quite politically correct or not really all that pleasant to talk about. And that is the biggest difference between people who succeed and people who don't. Because the thing is, there is a difference between those two camps, and it's a pretty big one. But I can guarantee that the secret to success is probably not what you think it is. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how connected your family is. It's not even about how good your grades were in school. So what is it? Well, believe it or not, it is having the grit and the persistence to just keep going no matter what. Even when things get hard, even when you make mistakes, even when life feels impossible. And ultimately, that's exactly what this podcast is all about. It's about facing our fears and overcoming adversity so that we can instead create a life we love. Not a life that's perfect, but one that we are proud to live. Because courage doesn't mean we are never afraid. Instead, courage is being scared, but taking action anyway, despite our fear. It's putting one foot in front of the other, even when we're not quite sure where the path is going to lead us. Okay, guys, so one more just real quick thing before we dive into all the practical application of today's episode. As always, I've created a little download that you can grab that will walk you through some of the practical strategies we'll be discussing today. 
and you can get it along with our show notes by visiting dowitscared.com slash episode 27. Once again, get all the show notes and the corresponding download for this episode at dowitscared.com slash episode 27. And then finally, before we get into the nitty gritty today, I just want to give a quick warning to say that this episode might be a little more raw than you're used to. And a few of the things that I'm going to share today about my own journey with depression are pretty hard to talk about even now. And also, if your kids are listening, it might not be the best content for little ears. So just that word of warning. Because honestly, the truth is that there is a lot in my past that I'm not all that proud of. Every day, I look down at all of the vertical scars that run up and down both my arms. And while they have faded a lot over the years, when I look at those scars, I can't help but cringe. They are so ugly. And yet, I am grateful for those scars, and I am so grateful for everything they represent. Because you see, by the time I turned 23 years old, I was pretty sure that I had ruined my life forever. At the time, all those scars were bright red and shockingly visible. My once long, beautiful hair had been completely chopped off and dyed a dark, rebellious auburn. I had a ring in my nose, another in my eyebrow, and I had just gotten my sixth tattoo. By that point, I had been deeply, deeply depressed for more than two years. And guys, I'm not talking uh, popping a few Prozac while watching Steel Magnolias and feeling kind of blue, kind of depressed. I'm talking straight off the deep end, Sylvia Plath basket case, like lock me up and put me in the straitjacket. Sadly, I actually was put in a straitjacket at one point. My official diagnosis was major depression and PTSD, otherwise known as post-traumatic stress disorder. And that... Shocking descent into madness had started midway through my senior year of college. After receiving news from my dad that a childhood babysitter had died, I started suddenly having all of these memories and flashbacks of being sexually abused as a child, something that I later found out actually happens a lot to abuse survivors. Suddenly it becomes safe to remember, and so you remember, whether you want to or not. Those memories, combined with lots of other family trauma, growing up with a mom who struggled with bipolar disorder, a dad whose main focus was growing his company and not really nurturing his family, all of that brought all these big, this big jumble of painful memories that I literally just could not deal with. And add insult to injury or make matters worse, I was also faced with the realization that In some misguided attempt to find love and acceptance in my life, I had actually married the wrong guy, and I was now stuck in a life and a marriage that I didn't want. And so, unwilling or unable to cope with all of this stuff, I decided on March 9th, 2000, that life had no meaning, that there was no such thing as God, and that killing myself was the solution to my problems. So here's a little spoiler alert. It wasn't the solution, but 
It took me a really, really long time to realize that. I made several suicide attempts, all of which were pretty serious, but it was my third attempt that landed me in a coma on life support with less than a 10% chance of ever waking up. The fireman broke down my door that night. Uh, My heart stopped in the ambulance. They resuscitated me. They shoved a tube down my throat to keep me breathing, put me on life support, and then they called my family and told them to come and say goodbye that I probably wouldn't wake up. But as you can probably tell, I didn't die. Instead, I was sent to the psychiatric hospital yet again, where I spent another endless number of hours in group therapy and individual therapy and anger therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy. And let's talk more about your trauma therapy. And in my downtime in the hospital, I guess as an act of rebellion, I read existential philosophy and I bonded with all of the other mental patients who taught me essential life skills like how to tongue your meds, where to hide the contraband, and how to work the safety cigarette lighter in the smoke room. That safety lighter was pretty hard to work, and I learned that it was just easier to keep chain smoking. Out of the hospital, I headed even further down my spiral of self-destruction. I started cutting. And when that didn't feel painful enough, I switched to burning. I purposely put myself in riskier and riskier situations, binge drinking, experimenting with sex and drugs, getting into bar fights, and taking more and more risks. I bought myself a tent with a bad check, and then I camped my way down the West Coast, until I ended up in the middle of nowhere, Arizona, living with an extremely volatile lesbian couple who entertained themselves by cheating on each other, sometimes with the same person, and then getting into fistfights. I wish I was making all this up, but I swear I'm not. And the thing is, with all of this, I couldn't bring myself to care. Not about that, not about anything. All I wanted at that point was not to feel, and I did anything and everything that would let me avoid the pain that I was feeling inside. Needless to say, all of that self-destruction didn't make things better, and after yet another suicide attempt, I ended up back in the mental hospital. The doctor's finally gave up on all the antidepressants, and then as a complete and utter last resort, they turned to electroshock therapy, which most people don't realize that they do anymore because it's such a last resort, but they do. For months, they put me under three times a week in order to zap my brain. And then after a few months, when that didn't work either, they finally gave up and said, there's nothing more that we can do. And so that is how, at the tender age of 23, I found myself divorced, bankrupt, and at rock bottom. I had no job, no money, no degree, and no hope. I looked like hell, to be honest. And by that point, I had pretty much alienated everyone who had ever cared about me, even just a little bit. The thing is, depressed people are not the easiest people to be around. And while most of the people in my life tried to be supportive at first, after a while, they just gave up. I can't really say that I blamed them. I had given up on myself, too. I ended up going to live with my dad, 
not because he really wanted me to come live with them, but because I literally had no other place to go. And for months, I just lay in bed all day until he finally couldn't take it anymore. He convinced me, bribed me actually, to start working out a few times a week, which I did in the most half-assed way imaginable. I would walk on the treadmill for 30 minutes and then I would go straight back to bed. But amazingly enough, it did help. Those 30 minutes of literally putting one foot in front of the other started to make a small difference. And those dark clouds of depression that had been hanging over my head for so long finally began to lift ever so slightly. At that point, I found a new therapist and I told her on our first meeting, I have just spent two and a half years talking about every bad thing that has ever happened to me and I don't want to talk about it anymore. It hasn't helped and now at this point, I just need to know how to live again. And so for the next two years, that's exactly what she helped me do. She helped me put one foot in front of the other and pull my life, my shattered, crazy, messed up life back together. I got an apartment and I got a part-time job and then I got an even better full-time job. I adopted a dog who was so full of energy that I was forced to get outside and take several long walks a day. I started making new friends, healthy friends, non-messed up friends, non-druggy friends, and I started repairing all the old relationships that I had destroyed. I relished being single. I had fun camping and hiking on the weekends, and I started meeting new guys and going on dates with normal people. I even went back to college to finish my degree, and I started applying to law school. It was my therapist who helped me see that every small bit of progress that I made was helping to lead to the next one. And she made me recognize that I didn't have to have my whole life figured out all at once. I just had to keep going. And eventually she helped me realize that if I could make it through the other side of a massive two-year mental breakdown, I could make it through anything. I just had to keep going. Because there was never a moment where my life magically turned perfect. And that would certainly not be the last time I struggled in life. I did go to law school only to realize nine months into it that law school was definitely not for me. And I tried many, many, many other paths after that. And it would take me years to find my way back to God and to discover the path that I was actually meant to be on. Along the way, I've faced plenty of other challenges and adversity. There's been heartbreak and betrayal, setbacks and failures, crushing losses and bitter disappointments, health issues and money problems. But the thing is, that's life. No one gets a free pass. None of us are guaranteed a perfectly pleasant journey free of hardship and struggle and pain. And while my story is a little more dramatic than a lot of people's, it's far less dramatic than many others. There are plenty of people who have experienced far worse challenges, far bigger obstacles, and far more dire circumstances than I have. 
And the only thing that I know for sure is that there is certain in my life to be more obstacles, more struggles, and more setbacks in my future and in yours. Because adversity is a part of life. The only question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do to keep yourself going even when the going gets rough? How are you going to dig deep and find the grit and the gumption to persevere? Those are big questions without easy answers, but I think it starts by taking three small but very critical steps in the right direction. The first step is to understand that the one thing, the only thing that you can control in your life is you. Now, guys, this is not new information. This is something that I have talked about before here on the podcast. In fact, I just did a full episode on this very topic a couple of episodes ago in episode 25. But I think that it bears repeating here because it is a reminder that we all need again and again and again and again and again. And I don't know how things work in your home, but in our house, this is practically a daily lesson. You see, weekday mornings in the Sukup household are not a pretty sight. No matter how early we set the alarm or how much prep work we try to do the night before, packing lunches, signing off on homework, setting out the clothes, and putting backpacks and instruments next to the front door, those 30 minutes between 7.30 and 8 o'clock a.m. always seem to devolve into chaos, yelling, and many tears. Now, the source of all this chaos is not a mystery. It is my youngest daughter, Annie. The child, God lover, has zero sense of urgency and seemingly no ability to speed up and move faster. I don't know what her deal is. She takes 45 minutes to eat an egg and toast. She wears clothes that don't match, even though they wear uniforms. She refuses to brush her hair or tuck in her shirt and then literally wanders around the house holding a shoe, hoping that nobody will notice she's supposed to actually be cleaning her room while her sister gets stuck doing all the work. Even more frustratingly, she is seemingly impervious to any amount of yelling, pleading, cajoling, even threat of punishment. We make her do push-ups. She doesn't care. She's not worried about being late. She is not one bit phased by the frustration and anger that surrounds her. She just doesn't care. I think it might actually be her superpower. But not surprisingly, the bulk of all the frustration and anger comes from my older daughter, Maggie, who is the person most directly impacted by her sister's behavior. Now, Maggie loves to get to school early so that she can see her friends and play on the playground. And in typical oldest child fashion, she is very responsible and she's organized and she's on time and she's always fully ready by 7.30 a.m., which means then she spends the rest of her morning trying to get Annie, her sister, to speed up. It's roughly the same scene that plays out every single morning, our own personal version of Groundhog Day, if you remember that movie. Annie won't get her butt in gear. Maggie gets more and more irritated. There's yelling and there's screaming and there's crying and there's slamming of doors and usually a lot of push-ups, which is our favorite punishment of choice. 
Let me tell you, that girl can drop and give me 20 like it is nothing. More than once, Maggie has come to me in tears, so frustrated to a level that only a sister conflict can reach. Why does Annie have to be so annoying? She never does anything. We're going to be late again. Why do I have to suffer because of her? It's not fair. And the thing is, Maggie is absolutely right. It's not fair at all. Annie has so many good qualities, so many good qualities, but her ability to get herself moving in the morning is not one of her good qualities, at least not right now. And most mornings, she is 100% to blame for all of our problems. And as a parent, I'm still holding out hope that this is a phase that she will someday grow out of. But for right now, this is our reality. And so what I have to explain to Maggie on a regular basis is that life isn't always fair. And so what I tell her is, honey, the only thing that you can control is you. I know it's not fair, but that's just what happens sometimes. And you can't choose how your sister acts, but you can choose how you respond. If you let this ruin your day, you will be hurting yourself not her. She doesn't care. And so you have to choose to move past it. Let me tell you, this is a tough pill to swallow when you are 12 years old, but it is a lesson that is just as hard for adults. The reality is that bad stuff is going to happen to you at some point, sometimes through no fault of your own. There are going to be people who treat you badly or who take advantage of you. There will be lots of sucky things in your life that you can't do a darn thing about. And at the end of the day, the only thing that you can control is the way that you respond. Will you let it ruin your day or your week or your life? Or will you choose to move on? Bitterness and anger and resentment don't serve you. They only eat you alive. It's drinking a vial of poison, but expecting the other person to die. And here's another spoiler alert, guys. They won't die. So choose to accept responsibility for the one thing that you can control yourself. Because even in the worst of circumstances, you still have a choice. Refuse to let the actions and attitudes of others affect the way you act or feel. Refuse to give up the power of choosing how you respond. You can still choose joy and happiness and forgiveness. You can still choose to move on. And no one can take that away from you unless you let them. So understanding that the one thing you can control is you. That's step one. Step two, then, is realizing that the joy is in the struggle. And I think so often we forget this. In fact, so often we are caught totally off guard or completely blindsided when something unexpected gets us off track. And then because we are caught so off guard, we are so easily devastated and discouraged. We don't know how to handle the obstacle or roadblock that confronts us because we haven't mentally prepared for it. But I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that the only sure thing in life is that things will go wrong. 
We've all heard of Murphy's Law, right? The idea that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. But for some unknown reason, we are still upset or surprised or devastated or angry when things don't turn out exactly the way we expected them to or when we make a mistake or encounter some major roadblock or obstacle. We think that's not supposed to happen and then we feel sorry for ourselves. Sometimes we even throw ourselves a big fat pity party. But why are we so surprised? Bad things will happen. Things will go wrong. Mistakes will be made over and over and over again. People will be jerks sometimes. Accidents and tragedies will come out of nowhere. Roadblocks and obstacles will pop up. And the only way we can stop being a victim of our circumstance and a casualty of the things that go wrong, because they will go wrong, is to stop expecting everything to go right. We need to stop telling ourselves that the smooth road is the one that we're supposed to be on. And we need to stop feeling sorry for ourselves that the road we somehow made it on isn't the smooth one because the reality is that the smooth road doesn't exist. Pain and suffering is never fun. No one wishes for hardship or struggle or for life to be just a little more difficult. We don't relish adversity or things going wrong. We're not secretly hoping for a little more tragedy or heartbreak in our life. We don't really want to feel sad or angry or discouraged or outraged. And yet, most of us, when we look back in our lives at our happiest moments, will almost certainly find that they are inevitably tied to some sort of struggle. The things we are most proud of are the things we have had to fight for. The thrill of completing a marathon is tied to the pain of running for 26 miles and the months of exhaustive training that went into preparing for that one moment of joy. All the blisters and sore muscles and Saturday mornings spent running instead of lounging in bed all morning. The pride of completing a degree is tied to the years of study of sleepless nights spent studying for finals, all the papers and reading and research, all the struggling to understand important concepts, and the investment of time and money. The satisfaction of owning a successful business is tied to the blood, sweat, and tears that undoubtedly went into making it work. The stress of endless hours and never being done of needing to take big risks and dealing with the unknown. The joy of having children is tied to the exhaustion of raising them, the sleepless nights spent caring for an infant, the temper tantrum-filled toddler years, the hormone-filled teenage years, and the endless carpools and lunches and laundry and homework and headaches in between. Struggle and pain and adversity aren't fun, but they do make us better. It's where we learn how to be stronger and wiser and more patient and more humble and more empathetic. It's where all the good stuff happens, even if it doesn't feel that way at the time. Within every breakdown is an opportunity for a breakthrough. And even if we don't know exactly what will go wrong or exactly which obstacles will pop up, we can be confident in knowing that something won't go exactly as planned. And as long as we have accepted those bumps along the way as an essential part of the process, they are a whole lot easier to bear. We can keep our perspective through the storm and come out the other side. So realize that the joy is in the struggle. That's step number two. The final step then is to just keep putting one foot in front of the next. In other words, Just take one step 
and then another. In her book, Grit, research psychologist Angela Duckworth describes in compelling detail how grit, the combination of passion and perseverance, is far more important than raw talent when it comes to creating success in life. She explains that high achievers in life are not necessarily the most talented, but the ones willing to work the hardest. We might think that we are at some sort of disadvantage because we haven't had the same opportunities as someone else or because we've had more hardship or adversity along the way. We might think that we're not as smart or as talented or as naturally gifted as the people that we see around us. But at the end of the day, none of those things matter as much as your willingness to just keep going, to take one step and then another and then another and to never, ever, ever quit. I think sometimes we look at the world as either or. Either we are smart or we're not. Either we are capable or we're not. Either we are brave or we're not. It's what psychologist Carol Dweck refers to as a fixed mindset, a belief that our qualities are carved in stone. And when we look at this world from this fixed mindset, there's no reason to try any harder. Making a bigger effort is simply only an opportunity to prove that you're not capable. As it turns out, our qualities are not carved in stone. Courage is never a one and done kind of thing because it's never about how smart or talented you are or how amazing and original your idea might be or what degree you've earned or how much money you are starting with. Instead, it is your grit and your perseverance and your willingness to work hard and keep working hard that will make all the difference. You don't need to know every step along the way before you begin. You just need to take the next one and the next one after that. Action is the antidote to fear, which means that as long as you keep moving in the right direction, as long as you keep taking action towards the goal you want to reach, even if that goal is just identifying a goal, you will get there someday. Courage is that muscle that needs to be strengthened each day. Courage is your daily decision. It is a conscious choice to take that next step and then to take the next one after that. It's the decision to just keep going no matter what. At the end of the day, there is only one and true secret to success. There is only one thing that separates the people who succeed and the people who fail. It's refusing to quit. And that decision will change everything. It's a decision that happens in small but critical steps. First, understanding that the one thing that you can control is you. You have no power over how people treat you or what hard things come your way, but you always have a choice in how you respond. Second, It is realizing that the joy is in the struggle. The best things in life come because we have had to fight for them, because they are hard, because there was pain involved, not despite the struggle. Never forget that. There is joy in doing hard things. And finally, just keep putting one foot in front of the next. Nothing in life will ever take the place of persistence. Make the decision to just keep going no matter what. Okay, so don't forget that if you would like the worksheet that goes along with this podcast that will walk you through the three steps that we talked about and remind you to always, always just keep going no matter what. 
You can download it along with our show notes at dowitscared.com slash episode 27. Once again, that's dowitscared.com slash episode 27. And then before we go, I just want to say that I would absolutely love to hear from you, especially in regards to the stuff that I talked about today. So if you have any questions about what we talked about, if you have any stories of your own that you would like to share, any topics, future topics that you would like to see addressed on the Do It Scared podcast, please, please feel free to reach out by via email by filling out our form at doitscared.com. And that about does it for this episode of the Do It Scared with Ruth Suka podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. And if you liked what you heard, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes. And then while you are there, be sure to subscribe to be notified of new episodes. And speaking of upcoming episodes, be sure to join me next week as we chat with the wonderfully inspiring Kathy Heller, host of the Don't Keep Your Day Job podcast. Kathy has so much wisdom to share about life and about daring to let your authentic self shine through, as well as some great tips for taking the next step in life, even when it feels scary. Her story is pretty incredible. And if you heard me share my story on her podcast, then you know that this episode is one you will not want to miss. I will catch you then.